From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Butler whips it out to the right wing. Flagler's three drops. Defense turns to offense. The three stretches the lead to 16. Everything Baylor throws toward the rim seemingly is going in. Long pass ahead. Ayayi in traffic gets it, gives to Timmy. Timmy driving down the lane, feeds it to Suggs, crashing from right side. Count the bucket and a foul. Jalen Suggs heading over to the Gonzaga fans to let him know they're not done yet. Patterson will put the brakes on and dribble this one out. And the Baylor Bears do indeed bear down to knock off the unbeaten Gonzaga Bulldogs and claim the school's first men's basketball championship. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Company on this Tuesday National Championship Day edition. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Ari, along for the ride here. Let's go. Think we're yeah, we're, we're ready. Think we're good. Uh, big night in college basketball last night. Of course, you hear there the Westwood One calls Gonzaga falls for the first time. Lost to Baylor. Baylor could not miss from three in the first half. That really set the tone for the game. And, man, the undefeated season comes to an abrupt end for Gonzaga on the Baylor side. A big win, a national championship. And sorry, just, uh, I didn't like the end of the call there, I got to tell you. Uh, and we'll get Steve Cofield's opinion on this in just a moment, but the bear down. Horrendous. Ugh. Especially because if you say Baylor Bears first, you know, it's it's just, you can't then follow up a bear down, which I believe is the Arizona motto anyway, not the Baylor one. So I didn't love that. But that was about the only thing that went wrong for Baylor, and it wasn't even them, it was the broadcaster. Uh, what a performance uh, by Baylor. I think Steve Cofield is here. I am. I've actually been doing an alternate show for three minutes. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hear you. I don't know okay. if the people did. Maybe. I heard it was way better than what we were doing. It had to be. It's panicked. We'll keep going on the line you're on. No, I got I got nothing. I was just not <laughs> happy with I was not happy with the bear down. You didn't like the call, why not? Uh well he said first of all, he said Baylor Bears decide to bear down. And get the win. Like, you can't say bears and then bear. And then also, bear down is the Arizona thing. I don't know the origins of the bear down. I barely know oh, it from Arizona. I know I've seen it, like, uh, you know, written around the uh, football stadium and, and some signage in the basketball arena in McHale. But I, I really don't know the origin of it. I know we were talking to Curtis Terry last week who went on vacation to Arizona and went to what the hell was the name of the bear park he went to? Now I got to look it up. I just blanked as soon as I was going to say it. I guess apparently there's some bear park in Wait, Arizona. What? Yeah, there's a bear park. Uh huh. Close by. Um. Okay. Uh. I think, I'm, I think I'll it's I'll talk... the. I think it's Bear Arizona. That first of all, that's awesome. Uh. Second of all, I'll see you later. Uh. I'm leaving. There you go. 
I'll cover the next 90 seconds. We'll just rotate back and forth while you look up sure. Arizona. I'll just carry the show. Yeah, so it's Cofield and Company here on a Tuesday. Coming out of the gates like Gonzaga, unfortunately. Uh, that was a <laughs> that was a uh, 9 nothing start for uh, whatever, the radio gods, and a 29-10 start for the radio gods. But, yeah, to me, Baylor's a great story. Um, I know you're going to probably push back on, you know, Scott Drew and how they did it and all that, but uh, it's a hell of a story. This was a program that was dead in the water. You know, it was through their own doing 20 years ago. Um, they got to a point in the mid-teens where, you know, it was an elite program. We're talking a top-10 program. And Baylor, like a lot of places, the fans start getting a little froggy, and they're like, well, maybe this isn't the guy. Maybe Scott Drew is not the guy. Like, no, he's the guy. He's the guy. You're winning 25 games a year. The NCAA tournament is hard to win, and it's hard to advance in the tournament. As Cincinnati fans, who many of them were like, yeah, Mick Cronin, that's eh, enough. We're going to move onward and upward to John Brennan. Uh-oh. And then they watch Mick Cronin break through in a tournament with UCLA. These things are not easy to win. They're not easy to advance in the tournament. Uh, Adam likes to bash a guy like Coach K, and he's always got the players, and they're doing what they have to do to recruit great teams. But the fact that you know he made a lot of Final Fours, the fact that Bill Self makes Sweet 16s all the time, this is a hard tournament. And of all years, please do not discount what either one of these teams did. I know you know this, Adam. Yeah. But do not discount what either one of these teams did in battling COVID and breaks and the protocol and the discipline it took to freaking batten down the hatches and not be a jerk away from the court. And that goes for the coaches and the players. This game was a special game. The fact that we had a tournament was really cool. And Baylor won it. Baylor got the job done in this one-off. We're going to talk more about Gonzaga in the later part of the show. But uh, for everyone out there you know, who's worried about the Blue Bloods in name, not playing in the title game and not achieving at the highest level this year, these are the Blue Bloods now. Baylor is a Blue Blood. Gonzaga yeah. is a Blue Blood. College basketball has changed, and you're going to have to get used to it. You know? That's the way it's going to be moving forward. Baylor is going to be elite. Gonzaga is going to be elite. And this Baylor team is a prime example of, and Baylor's not a mid-major, but Baylor is one of those programs where right now they're afforded the opportunity to let a team grow and, you know, take in transfers at times who are sophomores and keep them around until they're seniors. Baylor's a great example of having some continuity and growing old together, playing high-level defense, you know, but also building with, you know, outside power in terms of guards. This was a really good team this year. Yeah, a lot, a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll just start with the end. Of and I, I think you know when you when you say allowing the the program to grow, allowing the team to grow, like there was a narrative for a long time, and I think a kind of a fair narrative that Drew was not a great game coach, that he just wasn't, that he would be you know kind yeah. of overmatched, yeah, uh, roll, that, the ball, you know, roll the ball out and, and use yeah. your great recruiting classes and your great athletes to compete. I mean, I think it was pretty clear last night. Now it, it's in one spot. I'm not saying that Scott Drew is a better coach X's and O's than Mark Few, but last night. He and his staff were. They just were. Because uh, Gonzaga couldn't make adjustments. Gonzaga couldn't play to some of their staple elements. Baylor outplayed them, and I think they were outcoached. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, you know, I don't think last night was a, you know, just a textbook, you know, coaching clinic. I think it was a lot of, uh, a lot of really good talent. And I do think the fact that, you know, Baylor made their first six threes of the game 
really changed how everything else happened in the game because now Gonzaga's chasing. Now they're trying to pressure the perimeter. Uh, it's opening so much up for Baylor on the inside and, and around the free throw line. Um, that really set the tone, and that's not really coaching. That's, hey, just go make your shots, and that sets it. But I do think they did a very, very good job, and I think um, one of the other things that you said there about the, the COVID season, like this is a year that I thought no way the best two teams make it. There's no way. Like we rare, very rarely see the top two teams anyway, yep. but this year it was so clear. There's two top teams. One of them or both of them will be derailed. There's no question. Like this is the year that that's definitely going to happen, and for them to to be the last two teams standing at the end to get through it all, and you know, as, as you alluded to, uh, to not you know be you know dumb about it during the season. Well, you can make the argument Baylor did have a massive outbreak and had to deal with it, but. Uh, at the end, they're both there, and they're both, you know, somehow navigated all these crazy waters to make it to this point, which I think really can't be discounted. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk to Q Myers, who actually does radio down in Waco. So he's in the uh, belly of the beast where they just won a national title. That's coming up in just a couple minutes. Listen, I, I can sit here and talk about all-time great teams. My narrative coming out of the game last night is not that either one of these teams are all-time great teams. I think they're very good teams. They could be two of the best 15 teams of this century. We're talking the last 21 years. They're good. Are they all-timers? I don't think so. Although it would have been real interesting. I guarantee it would have been part of the conversation, Adam Hill, if Baylor was able to play smoothly through a season, take out Gonzaga during the regular season, take him out in the title game, and go unbeaten. That may have been the next level of this narrative about how good these teams were, especially if Baylor went all the way and uh, you know smashed Gonzaga by 16 in the final. Yeah, both of Baylor's losses came after their COVID pause. And, you know, I, I actually watched the game with some Kansas fans yesterday, and they were kind of, you know, striking back a little bit against, you know, when Kansas had their win over Baylor. Uh, it was a large part because Baylor was still kind of trying to get their legs back uh, after the pause, and they were like, no, Kansas just beat them. Like, no, I, I think you go back and look. When Baylor came out of the pause – they almost lost to Iowa State, which was one of the worst Power that's 5 right. teams we've seen yeah, in right. years. Yeah. They were behind for much of the game. They won by five and then lost to Kansas. Uh, and then a couple games later, lost to Oklahoma State. They just weren't themselves. Clearly, the pause got to them. If they don't have the COVID pause, do they run through and finish the season undefeated and blow out another undefeated team? Well, I guess if they didn't have a COVID pause, they would have played each other. But you know what I mean? Uh, if they're both undefeated at this point and Baylor blows them out like they did yesterday, are they looked at at one of the historically great teams? Most likely, yes. And that's the crazy part of this. Like, that wouldn't have changed who they are as a team, but it changes the perception of them from a lot of people. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Just getting started here on a Tuesday. It's Cofield and Company. Last night was awesome. I thought it was great for college basketball. We'll get into most of the positives and some of the negatives, but Baylor wins the national title, and it just so happens that we talk to Q Myers every week. We talk Raiders. We talk sports in general, and he's right in the center of the action. I don't think people know a whole lot about Waco. Uh, most of the Baylor stuff is kind of negative, but this is one of those breakthroughs for the university, for the community. They win the national championship, and I, I just wonder what the vibe is like in Waco right now, and 
honestly, Q, I don't even know what Texas is like in terms of being opened up. Like, were people on the streets last night? It was so late. Are there bars open? Like, what was going on in Waco last night and this morning? Well, I'll tell you that Texas is 100% open, you know, and Waco is no other. It's no different. You know, it's open as well. Uh, 10th Street was was on and popping last night. McLean Stadium, they had a big watch party there going on, and they said social distance and, and wear your mask, but I, I'm sure you've seen pictures of the field already. I didn't see too much social distancing <laughs> going on there. And yeah. look, this is a national championship that no one ever thought was going to happen, including myself. You know, I've been here in Central Texas since 2010, uh, started doing sports in 2012. And in 2015, I saw this Baylor men's basketball team and I said, you know what? Scott Drew's a good coach. He's a nice guy. He's got a real good spirit, but I think he's gotten this team as far as they can go. And so there was a lot of people, including myself, on local radio saying, yeah, I think it's time to go out and find the next guy who could take them to that next level. It could be that Steve Kerr to Mark Jackson, you know, just take this team to the next level. And, you know, lo and behold, this the team and the program and the university stuck with Scott Drew. And, you know, he changed up his style a little bit. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with the success he's having now is changing his style up. But uh, he, he's kind of gotten in with the with the times of the way uh, basketball is played. And, uh, man, he has really done some great things. And, of course, it's, it's nice to have some really good players as he has that three-headed monster in the, the backcourt between Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and uh, Macy Oteague. Man, those three guys are three of the best guards in, in the country. So uh, just the city is, is just over the moon, man. They are, they are losing their mind. Just, again, never thought that this was going to happen. I've talked to many of the older guys that were the first, you know, the, the foundational pieces of Scott Drew's team. And they just, I mean, they're staying up all night. They're in tears. They just, they never thought this day would happen. And uh, it's been 18 years since Scott Drew's been at Paler and he finally got it done. Talk about the change in style. What did he adjust at some point in his career? Well, at first he was, and it's funny because it took an injury to really change up what he was doing. But defensively, I'll start with that. He was a real, you know, uh, zone guy. He was dedicated to the zone all the time. And, and it's funny because Kim Mulkey, who we talked about last week, you know, on the ladies' side, she's always been man, man to man, you know, just play that hard-nosed defense. And that's always gotten it done. But the ladies' game is obviously different than the men's game. And so uh, after a, a big-time injury went happened to, to Tristan Clark, his, his big center, not not only did he kind of change up his defense and go with a more man-to-man, you know, all up in your grill and then switch switch a lot and, and just, just get after it, you know, really dedicate yourself to the defensive side of things. He changed the way that he played offense and he, he ran the offense where it, it didn't go, it didn't go from the inside out. It started on the outside in, you know, and it was just, it was just a different style and you saw him start to adapt because he didn't have that big down there that, that he used to kind of feed everything through and funnel everything through. And so then all of a sudden he got some sharp Sharpshooters and Macy Oteague and Jared Butler and then Davion Mitchell, who was a really good player, worked all offseason long on his three ball. And all of a sudden that became deadly. So now you have three guys that can knock it down at a, at a drop of a dime. And so it's just it just became their identity. And so you've seen uh, the hustle, you've seen the dedication, you've seen the guys be selfless and not worry about their stats and just go out there and play. It's just a different ball game, man. He's, he's really you want to talk about changing the culture? He's absolutely changed the culture of Baylor men's basketball. Baylor wins the national title pretty easily against Gonzaga. Q Myers does radio in Waco. He's part of Raider Nation Radio 920 here in Vegas. He's our Raider insider. He's got Locked On Raiders podcast. He's a busy guy, very busy guy. What were your thoughts going into the game? Did you think Baylor could win? Uh, I took Baylor plus four and a half, but in, in no way did I think that Baylor would race out to a gigantic lead and then basically hold off Gonzaga the entire game. The closest it got was about... 10 points, but most of the game resided between 14 and 17 points. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny going into the game and maybe I was a prisoner of the moment of what I saw on Saturday. I was telling everybody on the radio on Monday, I'm very confident Baylor's going to win this game. And I was not saying it disrespectfully. I wasn't saying that Baylor was the better team than Gonzaga. I just felt that they had the better momentum. They had the better players playing with better confidence, higher level of confidence at the time. And when they raced out to that 9-0 the lead at the beginning of the game, I looked over at the wife and I said, this is really going to happen. This is going to be one of these games. Like Scott Drew's going to get his first national championship. And look, 9-0 doesn't mean the game's over. And I know my mom was texting me like, it's over. And I was like, nah, I still got a long time to go. Gonzaga's going to go on a run. But the thing about Baylor and what I've seen all year long is they go on runs too. Whenever it gets close, and it happened a couple times Monday night, it got within nine, it got within 10. Then all of a sudden Baylor goes on an 8-0 run, 8-2 run, 10-2 run. You look up and say, well, that's a 17-point lead again, and it's over. It's just they they smell that blood in the water and they go get it. They were a team of destiny. They felt they had a championship, to, uh, an opportunity to host the championship last year. It didn't happen because the March Madness never happened. They all dedicated themselves to coming back. Guys could have gone to the league. They decided not to, and they came back because they wanted to win a championship. And, well, they wake up this morning, and actually they didn't go to bed at all last night. But either <laughs> way, they, uh, they're they national champions on the Tuesday. I saw Butler talking about struggles in the bubble to the point where you're like, man, I don't want to be around this guy anymore. And I think that would happen to any of us if you're locked down and you're around the same you know, 20 people all the time. Was he talking about the bubble throughout the tournament, or was he talking about the COVID bubble when they had long layoffs? I believe it was the COVID bubble that he was talking about because the the bubble in the in the tournament he was talking about they had a lot of fun and the fact that they were playing games and they were uh, with each other for those thirty days and yeah it was a, it was a grind but but the joy that they have and that that's their been their motto all year long uh, joy uh, Jesus others and then you and so that's been their their motto all year long and they just kind of have have really adapted to that and so I think that in the bubble he was fine as far as the tournament but that COVID stretch that was rough man that was rough from my standpoint you know we talked when the tournament started and I said I didn't think that Baylor was going to go farther than like the elite eight because I didn't think they were going to get their mojo back I didn't think they were going to get their legs back under them uh, because of that three-week layoff of COVID I just thought that that was going to doom this team and and they found a way Scott Drew said it was going to be about four or five games and it was about four or five games and then I saw you saw them Looked like they were clicking on all cylinders. So, uh, yeah, man, just an incredible job that they've done. Uh, you got to give those players a ton of credit, but you also got to give that coaching staff a ton of credit as well. Yeah, I'll use the word moxie uh, for what happened around 15 minutes left in the game because uh, the officials and, and the Baylor bigs were playing overly aggressive. JTT was was fired up. Um, Thamba was fired up. They both went out with four fouls with 15 minutes left. I'm like, all right, this is when Gonzaga – We'll take over, get back into the game, you know, make this a nerve-wracking affair by getting it down to six or seven. But Baylor instantly pushed it up with like a you know a six-point run, and I, I think that just broke the spirit of Gonzaga. It was their last hope. It, it really did, man. I thought that Timmy time was going to happen at some point. You know, I kept thinking that Suggs was going to take over, Timmy was going to take over, and those fouls were critical. I thought, man, you know, Flo Thamba's got four. You got JTT's got four. It's going to be it's going to be a rough stretch. You know, they're not going to have the the dogs to hang in, in inside. And again, a couple turnovers here, a couple turnovers there, and that's that's really what they hang their hat on is creating those turnovers. They were averaging like turning the ball over 17 times a game that they were turning their opponent over 17 times a game. I think they had 14 uh, on Gonzaga on Monday night. So uh, they were right there around their average. They are just so physical and so tenacious when it comes to defense. And I mean, it wasn't even 
you know, it was like picking their pockets and, you know, it's just so many different little turnovers. All I could do is just kind of laugh. And, and all I kept hearing, I'm sure you heard it throughout the broadcast is, man, this is almost like those dominating UNLV teams from back in the day. I think I heard that about three or four times in the broadcast. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can see where they're coming from on that. That's that was a fun, fun game just to watch and observe from a distance on how how they went and attacked that game. I will say after the game, I was a little uncomfortable with the Gonzaga bashing. Um, listen, these were tab the two best teams in the country all season long. Vegas had a prop up Gonzaga Baylor national championship against the rest of the world. So clearly Vegas was on to these are the two best teams. And frankly, if they played again, I think it would be a good game. And I think Gonzaga would win many of the game. You play 10 times. I think Gonzaga is right there with them. The Baylor quick start was gigantic. By the way, the officials affect games. And the fact that Suggs got two fouls early, that was another. It's like all the threes are falling. They're falling behind. Then their leader and their NBA player is on the bench for a little bit. It, It hurt them early on. I just... I read a lot of, you know, Big 12, you know, you know how the SEC does that bull crap. The football fans at, the, you know, Kentucky right. and Vandy are like, SEC. Like, you, you don't get to brag. You don't get to brag because of Alabama. Um, right. But tell me, do you buy into, you know, the grind of the Big 12 gets teams ready, gets got Baylor ready, and Gonzaga because, you know, they don't have a ton of great teams in the West Coast Conference outside of BYU and St. Mary's was down, that Gonzaga is not prepared for the tournament. I just, I don't know, man. I don't buy it. If, if you make it to the title game and your favorites, and then all of a right. sudden we revise history, it just seems, it seems weird to me. I, I'm still caught up in this. Gonzaga is a blue blood, but yeah. people still think they're the little engine that could. No, they, I mean, they're just dis- disrespecting Gonzaga. That's all. I mean, look, they went into that game undefeated. You know what I mean? Like, Baylor, you know, going, beat, you Baylor beat a good team, and it may be. Ba- Here's the thing Q, Baylor and Gonzaga, this year's teams, may be yep. two of the top 12 teams of this century. Yeah, you can have both. Easily. You can have the number two team going in beat up the number one team. It doesn't mean that the former number one team was overrated and crap. No, no, no. If anything, I would say going back and looking at Saturday's game against Houston, I would say that Houston was overrated. Houston wasn't quite as good as they as they were kind of trumped up to be, you know. But again, Baylor will make you look like that. Uh, Gonzaga was a great team. They were number one and two all season long. Gonzaga and Baylor all season long. We wanted to see the game in December because of COVID. It didn't happen. So, you know, hey, here we go. We have it in the national championship game. That's what we all wanted. I'll tell you right now, I don't want I hate when people say that the Big 12 prepares you for a big game like that because all season long we talked about and and anyone that's been in the Big 12 or in in, in the state of Texas or listen to my show knows we've talked about well the Big 12 they beat each other up all season long and then they get to the tournament and they can't last so you can't have it both ways you know what I mean like it's either one or the other it either prepares you or you beat each other up and then you're not able to go on a long run but you can't have both sides of the fence and so that's what it feels like to me that they're trying to do is play both sides. Q Myers is with us. Baylor wins a national championship. Will there be a parade? Where do they do it and how crazy could it be? We just mentioned celebration last night at McLean Stadium the football stadium. I thought that was a great idea by the way now rushing the field and you know all standing next to each other probably not the greatest move by the students but that was a, a raucous atmosphere. Where do they do a parade and how big could it be? I think that they're going to do one. I'm not too sure. I'm assuming it's going to be downtown, you know, Austin Avenue. I'm assuming that that's going to be the spot. That's usually where the Lady Bears have their parades when they hoist the national championship. They ride around in some brand new cars. And, uh, you know, maybe Scott Drew will get a Corvette. Coach Mulkey got a a yellow Corvette by one of the local uh, dealerships for winning a national championship. So maybe Scott Drew will get one as well. And 
Uh, I think it'll be a pretty nice parade. They'll they'll do it. They'll do it like a social distances type style, but uh, they'll definitely have something, man. That's the first national championship in the in, in team history. I mean, they haven't been to a title game since '48. Yeah, they're definitely going to do something. There is definitely no doubt about. It. They're not missing this opportunity. And when I said how many people are are, are going to be there, maybe people drive in from other areas. First of all, Texas is gigantic, so a lot of the right. cities are kind of remote. Waco is real. Is is the metro area is actually kind of a small population. I you know I was just looking it up now. I was like. Wow, I didn't realize it was that small. Um, in some ways, it's reminiscent of UNLV. Baylor is in with the big boys in a Power 5 conference. But, you know, when UNLV was a power, this was still a very tiny town. Yeah, and that's that's what it is, man. It, it's it's a small knit community. You know, everyone's kind of, uh, you know, uh, in elbows with each other, you know, rubbing elbows with each other. It's it's a tight community, man. And and for the majority of the people here, they all love the Baylor University, love Baylor Bears. And so they're they're going to go crazy and everyone's going to come in and, and you'll see a lot of alums. You know, I know there was a lot of alums at the game last night. RG3, a bunch of former basketball players, you know, just Chip and Joanna Gaines. Of course, they get a lot of love from Fixer Upper and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and it's so fun because anyone who lives in Waco like myself never would go to Fixer Upper or go down to Magnolia and hang out. But anyone who comes in is like, hey, I got to go to Magnolia. When can we go? And I'm like, you're on your own, Jack. I'm not going. <laughs> Q Myers no is with us. Uh, he's in uh, Waco doing radio. He's part of our uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 team. Uh, also has Lockdown Raiders podcast. We're going to take a break here on Cofield and Company and come back on this Tuesday and get into the NFL. Uh, Raiders made a big signing last week on the offensive line and also the ripple effect, which could hit the AFC West of Sam Darnold being dealt. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Time to get to the NFL. Q Myers is with us. He's our Raiders insider. A couple of Raiders-related items to get to, but the big news of the week so far, Sam Darnold, Jets quarterback, former number three pick in the 2018 draft, traded to the Panthers. I was kind of wondering what was going to happen here because we're getting late in the game if the Jets were going to get any value back on Sam Darnold. I thought the return was okay. I'm a Jets fan. Uh, I was not thrilled by it. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed they gave up on the Sam Darnold project. What do you think? I was surprised. I, I really was. I thought that they had a couple options that they, they could actually hold on to Sam Darnold. And I thought that they possibly had an opportunity if they were going to trade him to get a little bit more. I thought the return, you know, a six-round pick in 2021 and then, what, a two and a four in 2022? I mean, that's okay. But, I, I mean, the guy, like you mentioned, was the number three overall pick in 2018. That was just a couple years ago. And all of a sudden, you're, you're getting only a six-round pick. So I thought that, you know, the Panthers got a really good deal. Uh, and now the Jets have a ton of, of draft capital. That's great. They got 21 draft picks in the next two seasons, uh, two years. So that's great. But again, you've got to hit on those. I mean, you can have a bunch of at-bats, but if you're not getting hits, it doesn't really matter. So now the all the pressure's on the Jets to go ahead and, and do what they got to do to build up this team. I do think with all that draft capital, they have a lot of opportunity to kind of own the drafts the next couple of years and, and really move around and go and select you almost like uh, pluck the guys that they want. Like, okay, this is the guy we're targeting. This is what we're going to do to go get him. What do we need? Okay, we got it. Here you go. And then just go make moves. So they have an opportunity to turn around and make this thing, you know, make, make it a really good roster. But that pressure, you know, for uh, Wilson is going to be big time in New York. You know that. It's, no, it's not an easy place to play, especially if you're not winning. Do you think the Panthers handle this correctly in terms of the timing? Now, maybe, maybe the opportunity is not out there and they've shopped Teddy Bridgewater for a while. I'm guessing that's the case, but... They've sort of 
put themselves in a position where the league can look at Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers and go, you know, we'll play your game. We're not going to trade for him. No one is when he's owed like $39 million over the next two years. And you're going to have to release him. And then we're going to scoop him up then, which I think the AFC Ripple or AFC West Ripple effect from the Darnold trade is the Broncos could have a guy free on the market. They can get him for a good price in Teddy Bridgewater. And do I say he's their quarterback of the now for like four or five years? Like, how do you look at Teddy Bridgewater? If you're the Broncos, do you want him? Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm never sold on Teddy Bridgewater. I haven't been a, a fan of Teddy B since he uh, came out of Louisville. You know, I just I never thought he was that great. Even when he was in Minnesota, I thought he was just OK. He didn't cost you games, but he also didn't win you games. So, I mean, if the Broncos want to go in that direction, Teddy Bridgewater, I think that that's kind of lackluster. Q Myers is with us. Another thorny issue. Do you think baseball overstepped with the state of Georgia and voting rights and voting availability? Uh, I know Texas has now rolled into it because, and that's yeah. you know, you're in Texas because oh, no, Greg, very you know, angry. Greg Abbott <laughs> said, "Hey, I'm not going to go out and throw the first pitch." So he's mad right. at baseball slash the Rangers. What do you think here? Should baseball have gotten involved? And now, by the way, folks, we we, we mentioned it to open the show, but. Uh, now Colorado has the all-star game. So now we've got this whole comparison of voting rights and availability in Colorado and uh, Atlanta slash Georgia. Also population numbers, you know, a very African-American state Georgia is. Right. And, and it felt like to me that that baseball just reacted quickly. You know, what I mean, like they didn't even sit there and think and, and weigh it out and, and, and kind of come up with a good solution or or decision. They just really just boom, they just reacted really quickly. And, and a part of me, and I don't know if this is the right answer or not, but part of me thinks that the fact that baseball is a sport where there's not a ton of African-Americans playing it anymore, um, you know, and there's not really a, a ton even watching a whole lot. Are they trying to get that fan base back involved in baseball? Because I, as African-American, love baseball. But I know I talk to a lot of my friends and they're like, oh, that game is boring I don't want to watch that I don't want to sit there and play that game I want to do this I want to do that I I wonder if that has something to do with it trying to get African-Americans more involved back with baseball and that being Georgia is that a reason why they could have reacted as quickly as they did let's close where we started on college basketball I thought yesterday was a really big day for the African-American community in terms of progress you know we talk all the time about lack of diversity in coaching and we know the NFL has a problem with that uh, at the head coach slot but also leading up in other leadership positions for Hubert Davis, an African-American, to get a job on Tobacco Road in North Carolina with a historic program like Carolina, a top five program in the country, is a massive breakthrough. It is. And and I'm very happy for him. You know, it's that's a huge, huge deal. And I hope that he has all the success in the world. And I know that he was basically the the coach in waiting, you know, when Roy Williams was there and when he was going to step down and when he was going to retire, uh, everyone assumed that Hubert was going to get the job before it actually to come to fruition. That's a big, big deal, man. And that's that's historic. You know, it's almost like when uh, Tubby Smith got the job at Kentucky. You know, I was like, whoa, <laughs> Tubby Smith got a job at Kentucky. OK, wow. That's awesome. But, you know, Hubert Davis has this opportunity now. Only thing I get concerned with is, you know, is it smart to just go ahead and uh, and, and promote the guy, you know, the guy that's been there waiting? It could be. I know the expectations are going to be high, and I, I know he bleeds, you know, Carolina blue. He loves the program. He's got a, He's a heck of a coach. I know he is. He's, he's earned the right. It's just the expectations are going to be so high for him filling in, coming in and, and taking over for Roy Williams. It's going to be interesting. It's a, it's a dangerous slope sometimes to do, but I'm happy that he got the opportunity. Q, we appreciate it. Tell people where you are on Twitter and also about your Raiders podcast. 
Yeah, absolutely. The Locked On Raiders podcast. You can check it out every single day, Monday through Friday. I usually have it posted up about 12, 15 in the morning. So as soon as, as soon as you wake up and brush your teeth, there it is right there. You can find it on wherever you get your local podcast at. Of course, you can find me on Twitter, at your boy Q254. And I also put a, a link to the, the, the podcast on, the, on my Twitter account every single day. Link it out multiple times a day. And uh, so you can find it just like that. Again, at your boy Q254 on Twitter. We're, uh, we're up against it. we got 60 seconds left. Can't bury one of the uh, big Raider stories. What did you think of the extension given to Colton Miller? Well-deserved. He's a guy that, uh, you know, since 2018, he's improved each and every year. I think it was smart for the Raiders to get out in front of this because when the salary cap goes up, obviously the the contracts are going to go up even more and more. So they're probably going to look at it and say, wow, his contract was a bargain a couple of years from now when, when it actually starts to kick in and these salary caps are skyrocket. So Colton Miller, a guy that, you know, has done it from the from being a rookie to now, uh, he, he's earned it. So, uh, yeah, salute to Colton Miller for getting that. Thanks, Q. We'll talk to you next week. All right, my man. Appreciate you. Q Myers, a Tuesday regular right here on Cofield and Company. We flip the page. We'll talk a little Masters and lean on former PGA player Nota Begay for a preview and some insight for the event going down this week in Augusta. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. In March Madness, one game, the best team does not always win. That being said, Greeny, mm-hmm. man, it's going to be tough to beat the Zags. They are terrific. After looking at tape the last couple months, I thought that the Zags and Baylor were the two best teams. I have seen nothing to change my mind. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. That was Berkeley on uh, ESPN Las Vegas with uh, Mike Greenberg. Did you watch tape the last two months? I'm not so sure of that, but uh, interesting. We talk absolutes all the time, Adam Hill, that teams cannot be beaten. And uh, we go to the golf world now. And remember when Jordan Spieth was uh, going to be an all-timer, right? Well, he's back. Uh, this is on the heels of everyone saying he sucks and that he's, like, you know, barely in the top 100 in golf, but he's made a run this year. So it sets up a what could be a very dramatic Masters, Nota Begay, played in this tournament. He's a former PGA golfer. He's with the Golf Channel, and he's brought to you today by Bet Online. And Nota is up in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I made a I made a dime myself on the uh, Baylor Bears last night, so I'm pretty happy right now. Is that right? You bet him plus the points, or you bet him in game? Uh, I bet him plus the points. It was right. fantastic. Very nice, uh, when, Adam. And when I those are- trees were raining down. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I mean, if you, you know, I had I had plus four and a half on Baylor, and all of a sudden they're out nine nothing, twenty nine ten. But here's the thing: when you go uh, in wagering, uh, then Adam and I tried to you know get the the whole shebang, and we tried to get a middle, and we had both had Gonzaga like plus seven and a half, plus eight and a half, trying for a middle, but Gonzaga never made a run. Um, are you a big college basketball fan? I, I am during the tournament. Just about, I become an expert when March starts. I'm a I'm pretty much irrelevant. <laughs> The rest yeah. of the year, but just like everybody, I think I'm an expert with March Madness. Is. Well, let's lean on you for your true expertise, and that is playing the game of golf and analyzing the game of golf. So I was a little harsh there on Jordan Spieth, but, you know, we go so up and down in the way we talk about athletes, and, you know, there are ebbs and flows in a golf career. Not everyone's playing their best golf at every moment in their career. So I want you to take the Vegas audience through what has been going on with Jordan Spieth the last couple of years and then what just happened the last month or so. Uh, real quickly, yeah, from 2015 to 2017, Jordan Spieth won 10 tournaments over a three-year span, a uh, handful of majors, and had become the number one player in the world for a period of time. And 
had basically done a couple things that only Tiger Woods had accomplished. He was uh, the youngest player, um, you know, one of the youngest players to ever win the Masters. Uh, he tied Tiger Woods' scoring record at 18 under. And at the time, Dustin Johnson broke it last year. Um, so he was this kid that had come at an early age and was doing all these magical things. And we sort of, in sports, as we do, um, placed a whole lot of expectation on him. And then over the last three years, um, he fell to, down to zero wins over a three-year period and fell all the way to 98th in the world and um, just uh, really, really struggled with his game, was making about as many cuts as he was missing, and um, it had become a real hard time for him. But he crawled out of that hole and last week won his first tournament in over 80 starts at the Valero Texas wow. Open in San Antonio on Sunday. Nota Begay is with us talking to PGA, getting ready for the Masters. So on the uh, bet online board, uh, Dustin Johnson's a slight favorite at 9-1. to Should Spieth be the favorite here? No, not at all. I think uh, it's pretty accurate at this point. I mean, if you look at it, um, I think you look at, at Jordan at 12-1. to uh, I think that would have been double that if he didn't win last week right around 20 to 24 to one, but because he won and because he's a master's champion and because he's Jordan speed, um, there are certain players that move up just because they're who they are. Tiger Woods was notoriously over bet um, in majors. Um, Vegas loves Tiger Woods because uh, people will just throw money at Tiger Woods, even though he hasn't shown any reason for you to, to, to actually bet on him. Um, but, he comes through in big moments at a lot of times, and I think people are sort of expecting those same sort of things from uh, Jordan this week. So when we talk about Dustin Johnson, obviously he has that end-of-the-year Masters, uh, that weird time, weirdly-timed Masters uh, on his resume most recently, but his current form isn't great. So which one should we take more away from? Well, I, I would never take away from Dustin. I think it's it's a true that that's an accurate favorite projection. Um, but I would, you know, I think there's things to be concerned about Bryson. He still hasn't figured out how to play Augusta national. It takes time. You look at Justin Thomas in his last five starts, he's gotten better every single start and it's taken him five years to get his first top 10. I'll give you a, a similar example. Dustin Johnson in his first five starts, at Augusta National in the Masters had zero top tens. His last five starts, he's gone five for five in top tens with his win last year and has shot a combined 41 under par in those five five starts. So he figured out his way to approach Augusta. Jordan Spieth has figured it out. Justin Thomas is figuring it out and has come close, which I think he and John Rahm would be the two guys I would circle uh, on my short list of players uh, in that top tier. Um, Bryson, I still think has a little bit to learn. So I would sort of maybe, you know, put him as a, a one, a candidate. What is, what is Bryson's secret? He, he said there's something that he has in his bag. That's going to be very helpful. Everybody's <laughs> trying to figure out what could it be? I don't know. A lucky rabbit's foot. I, I <laughs> I'm not sure it, um, you know, he, he will, continue to experiment and um, try new things. And, and, you know, he's really revamped the game. He's changed the game. I mean, very few people can actually say that they've done that. 
but with what he's done and the distance increases that he's seen in the last two years, it's absolutely remarkable. And I think it was point in case that it was worth it when he, you know, won the U.S. Open last year. I think he will win the Masters. I just don't think, um, especially at 11 to 1, that, um, you know, that's not a place that I would put my money. Uh, I'm going to go on guys that are trending, the Speeds, the Thomases, um, sort of the, you know, the, the more predictable guys like, you know, Dustin will not finish outside the top 10. You know, it's just a matter of, is he going to make enough putts to win? So, you know, you talked about the process of figuring it out, of trying to, to learn how to play the course. And so many people, I think, going into the, to the Masters last year thought, you know, Bryson was going to be the guy. And obviously the odds say uh, he could be a contender again. But, sh- like, should we expect him to figure it out and then, like, it'll be he'll, he'll win it and just have this big year? Or will it be a process of, like, we'll see a third and a second and then we'll see a first at some point? Like, do we need to be ahead of the game? when we're trying to look at betting him for the Masters at some point. Yes, I think one, one I think a, a step in the uh, in the right direction. So you saw, you know, last year he tried to uh, in in November tried to overpower the golf course and it just didn't work. Took this newfound power that he's had and he went out there and he tried to beat the course to death like he did at Wingfoot in the US Open. It didn't translate to success for him. What you did see him do at the Players' Championship, which is a much more tactical golf course, you have to be um, patient. You have to put the ball in certain spots. Is He laid off the driver. On par fives, he was hitting hybrids off the tee. He was hitting three woods. Um, he had a chance to win that golf tournament. And I think that he took away a little bit of an understanding of just sometimes you don't need the driver to overpower a golf course. You need to be smart. You need to be efficient uh, with your decisions. Um, and not always use the sort of the big stick. Um, but, you know, the one person that I think on this list that I'm looking at um, is John Rahm that nobody's talking about. I mean, John Rahm, I just think, is had the, you know, aside from maybe a Justin Thomas, has had the most consistent showing over the last few months. You know, he hasn't seen a lot of highs, but his game hasn't seen a lot of lows. And, you know, coming off of just having a baby, I think that could really give him well, he didn't have the baby. His wife did. Um, but <laughs> but um, he, he, I think it could really give him that little bit of edge that he's looking for. Nota Begay is on Cofield and Company. A spot today is brought to you by Bet Online. You can go check out Bet Online for the most recent odds to win the Masters. You've got fun props up there. What's the uh, winning score going to be? Cut line, you can bet on that. Hole in one, head-to-head golfer matchups. Uh, tell me if I'm an idiot. Uh, and this is very much rooting against people, so it's kind of mean. I like the prop fourth round, hole number 12, over under two and a half on balls in the water. Am I crazy for going with the over? No. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's always somebody that just chokes on that hole. I mean, with, I mean without a doubt, I think it's going to be, I mean, what's it, minus 130? Minus 180 over um, two and a half. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think that's the definitely. Like, there's there's going to be more than than three golf balls um, in the water there on on Sunday uh, at the twelfth. You know, my favorite prop is the is the winning putt by the winner going to be three and a half feet or longer, three and a half feet or less, or three or outside three and a half feet. That's o- that's always a fun one because. 
it always comes down to if somebody has a big lead, then they usually lag the putt sort of inside that three feet, and they have a tap-in. But if they're trying to win it outright, if they're tied, then they usually make a long putt on. So um, that one's going to be interesting to watch as far as those sort of exotic prop, prop bets. Noto, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much for giving us your time, and enjoy the event this weekend, okay? We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There you go. Noto Begay brought to you by uh, Bet Online. It's Cofield. It's Adam Hill. It's Ari as we're just getting things uh, started off as we get to hour two here in a second. I know you're not a big golf guy, but the fact that the Masters, Final Four just finished. We just had the title game. Now we start kind of getting into, like, outdoor events. We're not back to normal completely, but the Masters being back is kind of cool. The Masters being back is very cool. I will tell you, just being out at UNLV football practice today, and we're going to have uh, some highlights of the practice in terms of some uh, interviews and some audio clips coming up in a little bit. I know I'm glass half full guy on the show. Believe it or not, audience, Cofield is glass half full. <laughs> Adam, do you feel it at all? Like the the warmer weather, we're starting to open up. Maybe people can go to games in Nevada at some point in bigger numbers. Not 40,000. Not Texas. We're not Relax. Texas. Are you feeling a little bit? Are you capable of being happy? Um, well, I think you're capable of being happy without feeling that things things are back. I mean, I do feel like it is it's back a little bit too soon and too too fast. But uh, yeah, at the same time, like I, I I watch baseball and see people at games, and I'm like, oh, we're so close to doing that. And I, I feel like, you know, being vaccinated, I'm like, I I'm pretty close. I I'm I feel like I can pretty soon do that. So I'm I'm into that. I think that's where you're really seeing it. Of like, hey, you can go to a baseball game. You could be in a, in the in the stands, uh, watching baseball, just like we used to do uh that's that's kind of where i'm feeling it a little bit uh nationals finally got to the field today we'll give you the details finley toyota they'll do anything to sell you a car no toyota problem is too tough too large or too small keep your toyota running like a toyota